You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. If you're wondering what kind of message are you going to get on Christmas, this stage is not going to just be filled with Christmas stuff. It's going to have Easter stuff on it too. Because it's Christmas Easter. You can't have one without the other. No virgin birth, the death on Easter Sunday is no good to us because he has sin in him. It's not a perfect, it's not a perfect sacrifice. And so to not steal my thunder on Christmas Day, I just, I just want to share with you that, that none of this depends on, on our reaction except one reaction. And we're going we're gonna to unpack this literally next week. But I want to say it now, the, the one reaction that it depends on is, is that you bow your knee to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, period. That's it. When you get up from doing that, when you get up from, 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 from responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, sure, you should grow in your relationship with him. Sure, you should be a part of a discipleship group of some kind, whether that's a small group or a Sunday school class or something that takes you deeper into the word. Sure, all of those things. But this hope, peace, joy, and love doesn't depend on you. It depends on the price he paid. He wrote the check, signed it, and said, I'll fill in the value. I'll fill in the value. S.D. Gordon says this. It'll be on your screen, I believe. Yes, S.D. Gordon says these words. Joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. It is the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. Joy has its springs deep down inside, and that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy singing, he had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. I, I, I just want you to focus on that last sentence. That, that touched me this week. He's dying the most inhumane death. And Jesus has joy because he's doing it for you and for me. Wow. Want authentic joy? That's what we're talking about this morning. This message shows us how to have joy no matter what we're facing we're going to learn three tips to refuel by returning to our source of joy, that is Jesus. So we go to Elizabeth and Mary this week. Joy as mothers. There's a lot of joy throughout the biblical Christmas story, especially early in the story. But it's important to note that this joy isn't separate from pain and disappointment. In fact, much of the joy is born out of long disappointment and grief. We're going to look more closely at this as we explore the stories experiences of Mary and Elizabeth. Luke's Christmas story begins a little earlier than Mary and Joseph and Jesus with a prophet named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Luke begins like this. It'll be on the screen and it is also on your sermon outline. In the time of King Herod of Judah, 
There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they both were very old. It's key here. Not today, but in that day and age, childless meant blessless. You're not blessed. And so here's Mary and Joseph, and I like how the gospel writer writes it, or Mary and, or excuse me, Elizabeth and, and Zechariah. And notice what he says about them. They were righteous in the sight of God. They did, quote, everything right. And they still had deep pain. Herod is the Roman king who kept the Jews under harsh Roman control. These are difficult times that Mary or that Elizabeth and Zechariah are growing up in or, or being married in. And here we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of priestly lineage. And in a day with a lot of religious corruption and power plays by the Pharisees and Sadducees, Zechariah and Elizabeth are a stark contrast. They are described again as righteous, blameless, faithful, unlike all the other people that were religious in that day. This is specifically important in light of what Luke tells us next. They were old and they were childless. That changes suddenly and miraculously when the archangel Gabriel shows up and tells Zechariah that his wife is going to have a son, a powerful prophetic son who will prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Zechariah is overwhelmed and he can hardly believe his ears. When Zechariah questions the news of them having a child, the angel says, okay, here's your sign. You won't be able to speak until the child is born. And boom, Zechariah is left writing and signing to everything. Elizabeth is quick to believe the news, and when she becomes pregnant, she says in Luke 1.25, also on the screen, The Lord has done this for me. In those days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, Elizabeth did go into seclusion for the first five months of her pregnancy. There's there's 20, 30 ideas of why this might have happened. Maybe it has something to do with Elizabeth's inability to have children all all those years. So she decides to remain out of sight until she was sure the child would go to the full term. Not having children was a lifelong source of pain and sorrow and shame. It was a big deal in that culture. And so you can imagine that Elizabeth is struggling with this. The hopes of Elizabeth and Zechariah having a child would have eventually faded through the years as they tried repeatedly to have a child. Elizabeth would have been questioned herself and probably asked questions of the other women. The other women probably would have questioned her unfairly, looked down upon her, casting suspicion or unfounded blame on her. Elizabeth's self-worth would have been growing lower and lower as the years went on. And the hope for a child dimmed. 
By now, everyone around her would have declared Elizabeth barren and branded her with this lifelong disgrace. However, when Elizabeth is six months pregnant, Gabriel makes another appearance, this time to Mary. And Gabriel delivers the most miraculous announcement of them all. Mary received the news gracefully and willfully, willingly, excuse me, but at some point early on, Mary must have known that her challenges and disgrace were just about to begin. The scorn and shame she would face in her family and her fiancé as well would be tremendous when it became obvious she was pregnant and unmarried. How do you make people believe that the baby in your womb is God's son? Even Joseph couldn't believe this news at first, and he planned to break off the engagement in what would have been a divorce in that culture. Mary's pregnancy would not be an easy one for either of them. Maybe that's why Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, Mary hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. See, Mary must have heard about her relative Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. And the first thought that might have came to Mary's mind, just, just, just be with me for a second here. If anyone will understand, Elizabeth will understand. She might have thought, and she was right. This is where joy erupts against the past backdrop of, of discouragement, disgrace, and grief and shame. The joy becomes bursting through these two mothers-to-be. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 42 and following, in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And the story comes to the point where you can take a deep, What a relief that must have been to Mary. She didn't have to explain herself. She didn't have to worry anymore about being misunderstood. All she had to do was say hello, and Elizabeth knew. Even her developing baby knew and leaped within her. This was just the affirmation and encouragement Mary needed. That's why she says in Luke 1, 46 or 55, these words, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of, my, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds within his arms. He has scattered those who, proud, who are proud in the inmost thoughts. He has brought them down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, 
but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering the merciful, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This beautiful passage of scripture is a celebration and a connection in the midst of a miraculous events. But this passage is also two expectant mothers sharing a deep understanding and affirmation that foster the flow of joy no matter what has happened before. I want you to catch this. This is not just a story about two mothers who were having happy-go-lucky days. This is a story about two mothers who struggled. And then Jesus showed up. Joy has filled their hearts. There's much we can take away from this story, but I want to focus on three goals that can easily be applied to our own experience with joy. You, too, can learn from Mary and Elizabeth how to have unspeakable joy. You don't understand it. The world's falling apart. Things are going wrong. You're having a bad day, and yet deep down inside, you have joy. Here's the first point. To understand it's okay to be joyful and happy. Now, some of you are going to say, we're paying you for this? Yeah, because some people have a real trouble being joyful and happy. Period. Trust me, the church walls are going to handle it. The church won't fall over. Your house will not fall over if you're joyful. For some of you, the, of this idea that's okay to be joyful might make you a little uncomfortable because of some of past experiences you've experienced. Joy does not, de- de- does not need to depend on your past experiences being all pain-free. Let your faith in Christ be the reason for your joy. We've probably all heard joy described in contrast to happiness. Happiness is fleeting and temporary. Joy is deeper and more fulfilling. Often in our Christian culture, the two get split into happiness as secular and less valuable or fulfilling. And joy is spiritual and more important or fulfilling. In actuality, the Bible doesn't make those clarifications between joy and happiness. They are essentially different words for the same thing. They may have slightly different nuances like many synonyms do, but those are often cultural and shifting. They've been translated somewhat differently in our different English translations of the Bible. But the original Hebrew and Greek terms used in the Bible as describing joy and happiness are essentially interchangeable. There is great joy in the Christmas season. And it's good to embrace and celebrate that joy. It's certainly hard to find the right balance in our lives to savor and experience that joy. But to those of you who find yourselves driven by obligation and busyness and guilt in this season, it's okay to pause. It's okay, Pastor. 
That sermon for Christmas Eve will get done sooner or later. It's okay to pause and embrace the season. It's okay to be happy and joyful even in the midst of uncertainty. And to those of you who find Christmas to be painful, difficult season, to those of you who are hurting or grieving personally or feeling discouraged by situations of, out of your control or whatever, and to those of you who are happy to be revealed, ha, or who are happy to revel in this season, it's okay and to feel and embrace joy. Let me be clear on this, and I've tried to be clear throughout this. The reason we celebrate is because Emmanuel, God, is with us. God sees you no matter where you are on the emotional spectrum of happiness and joy. Because again, we don't celebrate God who's off out there. We celebrate God with us. He's sitting right next to you. And so God sees you no matter where you are. My point here is, is that our longing for happiness and joy is a natural desire that God has placed within us as a reflection of his own joyful nature. You know one of the frustrations in my life, I, I, was, I, I used to get, and I say used to, I still do from time to time, get very frustrated at the imperfection of our world. Now that sounds arrogant, but let me explain that a little bit. You know, I, I, used, to, I, I used to not understand why certain people didn't see right as right and wrong as wrong. Like, I mean, I think he's pretty clear in here. And I used to get really angry in my heart, and, and it was someone who loves me deeply who took me aside, and he said, you, you have the yearning of Scripture. And I was like, the yearning of Scripture? That sounds weird. What are you talking about? And he said that all of us yearn to go back to the garden before the sin. It's actually scriptural. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to go back to the garden before sin. But here's the point. You can't. You desire it. You want things to be perfect. You don't want mistakes to be made. You don't want things to happen. And what ends up happening by this person's explanation, who happened to be a counselor, said to me that it rips your joy right out from underneath you. Because all the while you're longing for the garden, it's not going to happen until Jesus comes back, and you're missing Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. It's joy. It's an important part of our lives. And Christ will give it to us, but we got to understand that we don't live in Kansas anymore. We don't. We're not in heaven yet. And so... Things happen. Number two is to know joy from the Lord is your strength. 
There's a great example of this principle in the story of Nehemiah. Technology is wonderful until you lose your spot. <laughs> there we go. No. Finally. There's a great example of this principle in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an Old Testament leader with a, who got permission from King Ar Art Xerxes to return from exile in Babylon and rebuild Jerusalem, starting with his walls. The process was more than just a return to the physical city. It was spiritual reawakening for the people in chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah. He brings all the people together and they bring, um, they bring out the, the law of Moses and they read it. Nehemiah is calling people to remember and return to their relationship with God. And as he does this, the people are weeping. Maybe there are some tears of joy and some people who remember God's words from years past. But most of the weeping from sadness as they recognize their guilt and drifting from God. What a message for us today. Let us remember the promises of God and the joy that they bring. The reality is, is that, you know, we talk about getting our, our, our nation back. We hear that from time to time. We're going to get our nation back. Here's the reality of the folks that, that what happened to that nation. That nation was destroyed. And Nehemiah comes in and he has this dream of having his nation rebuilt. And where does he start? He doesn't start with, with gathering all of these different properties and things like that. No, he starts with God's word. And they start to read the law of Moses and one after another are standing around and they're bawling, they're weeping because they realize they have fallen far from God. And the scriptures say these words in Nehemiah chapter 8. Go and enjoy choice food and drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah is saying to them here this morning, or saying to them at that moment in time, celebrate. Enjoy it because you are finding out where your real strength lies. Our true source of happiness and joy and fulfillment comes from Christ. Christmas is a season of joy because the Messiah has brought joy into the world. Listen to what 1 Peter says to all of us. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your salvation, the salvation of your
You don't see them, but you believe them. You don't see them, but you're filled with an inexpressible joy because of them. Would you allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength in all your pain, sorrow, and problems? Joy is deep well that you draw upon no matter what you are facing. The joy Jesus brings is simply not do not, don't worry and be happy. Put on a happy face and fake it kind of joy. That's the kind of joy that we like to live in, right? I've told you about the kindigs driving to church when I was five years old. I would be picking on my sister in the back. I know it's hard to believe, but I would be. I would be touching her, and, 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 and then she would be yelling at my parents, tell him to get his hands off of me. And we would be yelling in the back of that 16 different colored green Pinto that my dad drove because he could never match the green when the rust showed up. And we're driving into the parking lot of St. David's EC Church, and he's reaching back saying, guys, you stop fighting. And mom's yelling. And then we get to the church and we get out and put a smile on your face and go into Sunday school class. Hi, Sunday school teacher. That is not the joy that Jesus is talking about in Christmas. That's fake. No, the joy that Jesus is talking about in Christmas is built on his birth and his death. And he wants you to celebrate it. And I want you to know that no matter what you face right now, it's okay to celebrate. I'll never forget the day I got the call that my closest, I, I have two grandmas obviously and there was one grandma that was a little closer to me because she lived in York where we lived and she passed away I will never forget that day I remember saying to Michelle at the time she got the call that grandma had gone to be with the Lord and I said I'm not preaching tomorrow morning I have nothing to say And then this still small voice said to me, really? You mean to tell me in this entire story of my redemption, you have nothing to say to your congregation because your grandmother died? Then I turned to Michelle and said, I'm preaching tomorrow morning. And I remember congregation members saying, you don't have to preach, don't worry about it, your grandma. No, I have something to say. Because my joy isn't built on what my life is going on in my life. My joy is built on Jesus. possible it is possible for you to choose joy this is the last point it's possible 
For some who are in the sound of my voice, whether they're at home watching this on YouTube or Facebook, or they're here, it's hard for you to see that you can choose joy. But you can. You can choose the joy of the Lord over sorrow and discouragement that the world offers. There are a lot of uses of the word rejoice in the Bible. It's not a word that we use very often in our culture, but maybe we should. Rejoice is the verb form of joy. It's the action of feeling or expressing joy and delight. And if you look a little more closely at the word, you'll notice that it begins with the prefix, prefix re. Think back to grammar class, and trust me, it made my, heart, my head hurt to do this. Or just think about English words that start with re. And you will remember, remember, that this prefix means once more or again, or return to. So to rejoice is to return to joy. It's a choice and an action we can take to return to joy. I'd like to add that for us. It's a return to our source of joy. It's a return to Jesus. That's what he's calling us to this Christmas season Maybe you've lost your joy. Maybe you've been sucked in, vacuumed up, just, just hit around. You are, you, are, you are just hurting. And he's saying rejoice, and you're saying, for what? Come back to Jesus. Friends, I believe this is the only way we can find true delight and satisfaction. And I believe that the process is the same for all of us, whether we are feeling the happiness and joy of the season or not, whether we are buried in discouragement or everything is going our way. None of us can conjure up an unending supply of feel-good happiness all the time. No matter how optimistic or positive or natural disposition it, your disposition is, sooner or later we all have one of those days or weeks or years where it's hard to be joyful. That's where the re comes in. That's where we must return regularly, daily, constantly to Jesus, our source of joy. It's why rejoicing is our process of refueling our tank restoring our strength and renewing our spirits. When I have a hard week during ministry, and, and, and I'm not trying to relate this to any of your lives, but if I'm having a hard week during ministry, in fact, I had this conversation to this week with someone. Someone said, that I was telling them that, you know, in ministry, and I'm not going to share with who, but, but in ministry, there's times when, when everybody is number one on your list. The problem is you have 13 number one priorities going on. And you're, you're burned out. Did I call that person? Did I check in on that person? Did I do this? Did I do that? And people don't see it. But there's 13 number one priorities going on. And you're trying to, trying to pull these. And you're trying to juggle all the balls and not drop any. And you're trying to make sure that everybody is, is taken care of. And there are times when I have to shut my door. 
for Chris's ear's sake <laughs> and just listen to Christmas music and sing at the top of my lungs. Chris, hold my calls. It's time to worship. Why? Because I have nothing better to do? No, because I need to refuel. And I need to be reacquainted with my Savior. And I need to know that my joy doesn't last off of somebody's appreciation of me, but it will last off of Jesus Christ himself. And you do need the same. And so don't you dare fall for the world's expectation that this, serve, that this, this time of year has to be go, 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 and forget everything. Maybe you need to sit, sit, sit and listen to some worship music and refuel and rejoice. Because if Jesus needed time alone with the Father, why do we think we wouldn't need time alone with the Father? Sometimes that's the last thing we want to hear when we're hurting. That we need to sit and listen. But let me encourage you that James isn't, or James says it this way in his scripture passage, and I know I'm going to get a bunch of oh in their hearts. But he says, consider a pure juror, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Are you nuts, James? Have you fallen off your ever-loving rocker? Because, because, you know that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. And then when perseverance finishes its work, you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Hmm. The bigger picture here is, is that God is working for our good in every situation. But the bigger picture starts at the source of our joy, and that's Jesus. It doesn't start with what I want. Oh, do I wish it did. Christ, can we talk about what I want? No, what he says is, no, I, wanna, I, want, I want you to talk about what I did. Then we can talk about your wants. But first we got to start with what I did. And what I did was I came down out of heaven and walked among you and shared in your joys and in your pains so that I could be, as Hebrews says, a high priest who understands every feeling you're feeling. And then I went to the cross. And if you were the only person on this earth, I still would have climbed up on that cross. And I could have called 10,000 angels down, as the old song says, and handled it all. But I chose to stay on the cross for your sins and mine. And then on that third day, I didn't stay in the grave like every other god of every other religion. But I came out of the grave, and they can't even figure out where my grave is in Israel. They have guesses. But unlike every other god, there is no 
Jesus of Nazareth lays here because he's alive. That's the bigger picture. That's where we start, not where we finish. And so many times, that's not where we start. I start with God, look, God, look, 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 look what's around me. Do you not see the, the issues that are going on? And God says to me, and he'll say to you, how about we start with what I did? Not what you want. In the difficult times, there's much encouragement to be found in the rejoices of the Psalms. And Psalm 13 is a great example. It begins with the painful cry. Here's what he says in Psalm 13. The psalmist says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? I, you know, I don't get people who say to me the Bible isn't real. I mean, if I'm God, I'm taking that out of the Scriptures because I don't want people to know that people actually question me. But he's very real. He says in, in Psalm 13:1, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How, don't you see me suffering, God? Don't you get it? I'm hurting, God. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he says these words, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices. In other words, I come back to you. Yes, the one who I'm thinking might have forgotten me forever, I still come back to you. Ooh. Be real. I trust in your unfailing love, Lord. My heart rejoices. It comes back to the salvation that you have given me. The Psalms are honest and raw, and as the writers pour out their feelings in these prayer-like poems and songs, then we see them transition through the process of remembering and stirring themselves as they rejoice and find strength in and from God. So what's the point of it all, Pastor? Thanks for asking. Friends, I want you to embrace joy. No matter what you're going through, and I know that's tough right now. Let's remember each day the source of our joy. That's where it needs to start. The source is not in what's happening around us. The source is not in how is our family doing. The source is not in does your middle school basketball team win every game. They haven't won one yet. The source is not in whether you are acting perfectly. The source is not in what is happening in our world. The source is not in how this next vote goes. The source is not in any of that. The source is in the redemption story of Jesus Christ. Period. It's in the fact that he came as a perfect baby, died on a cross as a perfect lamb of God, and gave his life for us. And then on that third day came out of that grave with victory. That's your source of joy. Nothing else. See, for so long as a pastor sometimes, and, and I, I'm going to be real like the psalmist will, and, I, and I'm closing with this story. So for so long as a pastor, 
I kind of put my joy on how the church was going. 22, 22 years. Church is going great. My joy is my joy levels woo through the roof. Church hits a little turmoil. Oh boy. My joy levels down here. The problem with that kind of living is, is that no one knows what is going to show up on Sunday morning. But when my joy is in Jesus Christ, no matter what the numbers look like and what things look like, I can go home and live my life joyfully. Maybe you do the same at your job. Maybe you don't. Every job is different. But maybe you put your joy in Dare I say, well, being a Bears fan, I don't do this often. Dare I say your NFL team? Dare I say your NBA team? Your school team? And Jesus stands by and says, what about me? Let's seek our happiness not in the seasonal trappings and traditions around us, but in returning constantly to our source of joy. Let's choose to continue the process of rejoicing despite the pain and challenges we are facing, and we all are. Let's heed the good news of the angels that will bring great joy to all of us. A Savior has been born, our Messiah, the Lord, and he will carry us through and complete his work in us. No matter what. A couple years ago, I was told I'd need a new valve in my heart. I never thought of it this way until I prepared this message, but do you know Jesus wasn't surprised by that? Do you know Jesus is never surprised? He looks at our world and he doesn't look at it with fret and surprise in his voice. But he knows what he's doing. And someday he's going to ask that angel to start practicing that trumpet. And he's going to call us all home. He's not shocked or surprised by your situation or mine. He's got it. The real source of joy. Let's pray together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 